Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you'll enjoy the Girl Dad Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Ernest James, and I believe the relationship between a daughter and her father is one of the most important relationships a young lady can have. And therefore, my mission is to promote the daddy-daughter relationship by sharing the voices of girl dads to the world. So check out our podcast on every platform where podcasts can be listened to. And if you want to watch the podcast, check us out on our YouTube channel. Again, that's the Girl Dad Discussions podcast with your host, Ernest James. And it's never easy. And Mm -hmm. I think too, like when someone is given, especially like in my case, like the pretty much like the girl version of the name, I didn't personally feel like I had the space to be my own individual person because I was a walking rep- representation that Frank was in here. Welcome to the Let's Not Struggle Quoted podcast, where every week we bring you real, raw, and unfiltered conversations designed to motivate and inspire you on your journey through motherhood, relationships, and career. We're your hosts, Alex and Bella. Thanks for spending this time with us. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we have Francesca Amante in the house. Um, We're super excited to have her here. She is a 30-year-old. She just turned 30, so happy birthday, who aspires to leave the world in a better place than she left it. Francesca is the founder of Amante, soon-to-be-published author, public speaker, real estate agent, podcast host, and 2023 National Vice President of the Junior Chamber International, 2024 Legal Counsel for the National JCI Canada Board. Francesca has spoken alongside TEDx speakers in the U.S. to speak on topics such as resilience, uh, gratitude, and courage after loss. So stay tuned for Francesca's upcoming TED Talks launching yeah, so 2024. That is so, so exciting. Exciting. Welcome to our little humble abode. Yes, welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you both so much. I feel so honored and grateful to be here. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, we're and we're looking forward to hearing uh, your story. I mean, we've heard uh, your story uh, a few times now, but we want to share it with our listeners yeah. who may have not known who you are and about all the amazing things that you do. So tell us a little bit how you got to where you are right now. Because I mean, 30 is very young and uh, so much to do in so little time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've done so much. It's pretty impressive. Thank you both. You're very kind. Um, Well, first off, yeah, again, thank you for having me today. Uh, Do you want me to just share a little bit about myself? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, my journey began, my parents um, were born and raised in Italy and then immigrated from Italy to Prince Rupert. So that was the little town that I was born and raised in on the coast of Canada, for those of you not listening from Canada. Um, so I grew up there and from a very young age, I was put into pretty much every sport known to man. I think my mom and dad intended to kind of um, maybe put me into like 10 different sports, hoping that maybe I'd be good or at one and like <laughs> one. one. And yeah. I ended up liking a lot of them, if not all. And so I ended, ended up... Um, creating a very busy childhood. So I think that kind of is a little bit of the journey of what brought me to where I am today and maybe a little bit of the self-discipline that my coach has ingrained into my head. Um, so from the age of four up until I was 21, I was in um, competitive figure skating, competitive dance, so tap ballet, jazz, modern lyrical point in ballet. Um, musical theater didn't stick. My teacher heard me sing and she was like, you are going to lip sync from now on. And I was like, thank you so much. So I learned that at a very young age, but played piano. I was in swimming, diving. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how I did it. That's like when people are like, I'm doing 75 hard. I'm like, oh, my childhood was 75 hard, but it never ended. (laughs) It never ended. (laughs) No, but um, so that's kind of like my journey of how um, I think a lot of those um, habits implemented and and just in terms of like the, the discipline aspect. And I think from a very young age, it was instilled in me from my coach, Sherry, and I had a Russian coach. He's incredible. He mostly just swore at me in Russian, Mm. go faster. Um, But I loved him. He was the most incredible (laughs) 
human ever <laughs> and uh, why I'm where I am today. But a lot of the things that they taught me and instilled in me was the fact that you're never going to feel motivated and you might feel motivated one or two days out of the month, but you can't rely on that. You can only rely on consistency and discipline. It's all the mm. things that we hear from mm. all of the incredible mm-hmm. motivational speakers that we see scrolling through Instagram. Um, but at the same time, that was definitely a big, um, catalyst, I think, to why, um, when I kind of got into the, I graduated at 16 years old. So I was, because of, I'm born on December th- or 31st, like late at night, mm-hmm. uh, my parents hadn't hold, held me back. So going into my grade, I was always the youngest in my class. So I graduated obviously a lot younger than most, but I was, I actually graduated six months early. So I was like 16. So I, when I had gotten my first position, it was actually with a company called Clinique. Um, so I was a counter manager at like 17 years old and mm-hmm. I would like fly back and forth to Vancouver and got involved with like the training. And I think that's where my love for speaking kind of began because speaking in front of like a group of, you know, a hundred consultants and mm-hmm. seeing their eyes light up when you say something inspiring or something that motivates them. So that's kind of where my journey began. So that was like 17, 18, 19. And then when I was 20, um, collectively, um, my folks and I, I had said to them, I'm like, I really want to invest in a property. And they had very kindly said, you know, like, we'll co-sign for you if you want to buy a property. So I bought my first house at 20. And so when I bought that, the realtor at the time, um, we kept in touch. I'd always send her photos um, of like my reno and everything like that in the house. And after a while, she she called me into her office. She's like, I'd like to talk to you. And I was like, oh, like what's going on? So went into her office and she's like, I want to offer you a job as my assistant. And I was like, you want me to be your assistant? Like, like really? And so I never had an interest at the time to be in real estate, but she was like, just give it a shot. I want you to try this. And so at 20 years old, I was like, okay, let's, let's try this. And within like a week of being in that office, I, there was just something about it that called to me. I, I loved working with like elderly clients and I loved like just, you know, helping people through mostly tumultuous parts of their life. Cause typically when someone's selling a house, sometimes it's for a happy reason, but often the clients that we had, it was for divorce, separation, loss, and I really love the fact that I got to meet so many incredible humans. So that's how my real estate journey began. And then from there, um, yeah, I worked for some major developers and ended up working with probably one of the best real estate agents I've ever known. Um, so I was with Nicholas for about two years on his team before I moved to Kelowna and um, incredible human taught me so much about the industry and and then, yeah, there was kind of, I guess, do you want me to kind of go into my divorce and how all that happened? or what? I forgot yeah. your divorce. My gosh, you've done so much. Yeah. Yes, dude, you're blowing share. my like, mind. Yeah, yeah. Share. Yeah, share. Well, I mean, technically, someone proposed to me when I was, when I had just turned 19 after a month of dating me. And so I was like, so technically, I guess there was one other time, but <laughs> I kind of, yeah. So did you get married at nine? At- no, no, so that um, so the very first um, interaction, um, it was very kind of him, but I was like, this is not meant to be, but thank you, that's whatever. Mm-hmm. And then later on, so yeah, I would have bought my first house at 20 and around that time is when I got engaged mm-hmm. um, to my ex-husband. So no, a wonderful human being. Um, I'm very grateful for his presence in my life. Accumulatively, we were together for four years. Mm-hmm. We were both very young. Um, I had gotten married at like 21 years old. Um, so... At the time, I mean, I didn't really know who I was. I did to an extent, but um, there were just so many things that I think I was unlearning and trying to process and as into terms of like who Francesca really was. And I think at that time in my life, everything that defined me was very much um, external. So, you know, the office I worked in defined me. I was like, okay, I'm a wife. I work in this office, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I live here. Like everything was very much outside of me. I don't think I really knew who I was. So um, at the conclusion of our um, marriage, so we were, we dated for one year, engaged for two, married for one. So in the four year time, um, at the end of that relationship, when we parted ways, um, I remember very distinctly, and this was one of the most like pivotal days of my life. So we had gotten divorced. I had made the decision that I wanted to trans transition off to Kelowna. So I'd put the house up on in Penticton up on the market. I had put an offer on a house in Kelowna. I had gotten a job with another realtor that had offered me an assistant position. And within a month, it was like the universe or, you know, somebody up there was like, no, you need a little bit of a a shift. Um, That position, they were like, we don't think we have enough hours and it wasn't enough hours for me. So that ended. Um, My house, there was a deal that was on the house and that collapsed. They weren't able to remove subjects. The house I did put an offer on, I wasn't able to remove subjects on that house because my house hadn't sold. 
And within a day, I was like, I don't, I drove home. I remember going on the couch. I was like curled up. And I remember like asking myself, like, who the heck am I? Like, I'm not a wife. This isn't my house. The house I thought I was moving to, I'm not meant to move to. Like, I don't have a job that defines me. I don't know what I'm meant to do or where I'm meant to go. It was just, I know it doesn't sound so crazy or critical, but at 21 years old, it definitely felt like it in that moment. I think at that moment, I kind of just realized, I was like, okay, I have to figure out who I am. Um, and I'm really grateful for it. So got up the next morning and same thing just was like, I have to carry through. And, um, I decided that I was going to kind of do the Tony Robbins thing and just do it until it happens. So I literally decided to drive to Kelowna every single day, whether it was to go to the gym or a spin class. I was like, I will move my life to Kelowna, even Mm -hmm. if I'm not there yet. And by the time I knew it, I put an offer on a house. I eventually moved into that house, got a beautiful, um, position with a luxury real estate company and everything fell into place. But, you know, there's, there's definitely those defining moments that lead you to, to those moments, but, um, there's so much to move forward in the journey, but I feel like a lot of my journey is more so like in my childhood with my brother. So I don't know if you want me mm. to go into that. I mean, yeah, there's so well, much. I would love to know that. Yeah. I, wait, I had a thought. Oh yeah. Before we jump into that, my thought was what, like, did you ever have moments where you were just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this? Or was your, it just like from listening to you, I'm like, oh my gosh, your self-discipline and your mindset was just trained to be like, oh, I carry on. Like, yeah. Were there moments that where you're like, I, I'm going to fail at this or like, I don't know what I'm doing or did you ever have that imposter syndrome in there? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. I think at the time that I had left Penticton and went to Kelowna, when that house and, and, you know, I guess position in that particular real estate office didn't last more than a couple months. My greatest fear was because I had a really incredible relationship with many people in the industry in Penticton. And I was like, oh my gosh, I look like a failure. That's what I thought. Mm. And oddly enough, I learned very, very quickly that there are some people and it's not to, to discount anyone. I think it's just life. But I did learn very quickly that the people that I did at the time thought were very close to me if you don't have a title attached to your name and a success story attached Mm. to your name or an office attached to your name it's very quickly that people will drop you Mm. and that was a very very hard lesson for me at the time Um, and you know what I thought it was the be all end all I was like what am I going to do without these people Mm. what am I going to do without their approval yeah I mean Mm. I can totally relate because I was in a eight and a half year relationship prior to meeting my husband now and I went through those same like feelings when everything started falling apart, I chose to leave the last one. Um, And then um, just feeling that community kind of disintegrate because people chose sides. And then who am I if I'm not, you know, the, you know, my ex, you know, they thought we were married by already, right? Because eight and a half years, it's its a long time to be together. So mm-hmm. it kind of felt like a divorce when okay. we finally separated for the second time. <laughs> but yeah, having that moment of like, who am I? What's my identity? Who are these people that are in my life? And are they supposed to be there? Because they're not here during those tough moments. If I'm not what they tell me I am, then I'm nobody for them which was a hard lesson um, to hear, I guess. And then that's when I started shifting and stepping into myself, who I truly was and am. Because I never got to explore. I mean, I started dating this guy when I was 17. I mean, you know, first love, first everything. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting married and it's like, man, I totally would have ended up a divorce because I do not recommend. Yeah, I'm sure it works out. But I mean, like at this age, I have two girls and I look at them and, you know, we get wrapped up in society. What society tells us what we have to be. You know, you have to go to school. You have to get a good job. You got to get married, get the Mm -hmm. house, have the 2.5 kids. And then your life is done. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, and what now? And what now? Yeah. We lose sometimes that sense of who we are along the way like yeah at, at 40 yeah. Like we're just talking you're not there yet but at 40 you have a, a midlife awakening not <laughs> like a crisis who the am i right because yeah. you do lose yourself because society says this is this is the timeline and this is what 
you should be. Yeah. I think things are changing now mm-hmm. slowly. We are becoming a little bit more awake and aware. And, you know, we are doing a lot more work on ourselves. And, you know, women are dream- dreaming bigger than being the wife, the, you know, mother. Yeah. There's more to us than meets the eye, people. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's so powerful. Thank you That's for sharing all. that. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And like with your identity, actually, that's a good segue into what you wanted to transition into. Was it really, and you can tell a bit about, you know, your upbringing and your brother and all of that. But was it in that point in your early 20s there where you were like, oh, you kind of, that whole identity came to be as well? Like how you felt tied into your brother's identity, et cetera. But I'll let you explain to the people. They don't even know what we're talking about. Sure, absolutely. Um, Yeah, for for the listeners, um, essentially the reason I was born is because my brother passed away in a car accident when he was just about to turn 17 years old and um, in a tragic car accident. So my mom and dad had only originally decided to have my brother and my sister. And um, I think at that time, at least from what I was told, um, the doctor was like, you know, maybe to my mom and dad, maybe if you guys try having another child, that will help through the grief. And I think like any mom and dad, my mom and dad were not doing well with everything. Mm-hmm. I don't think my mom really could rationalize wanting to be here if her son couldn't be. And I can't blame her. That's mm-hmm. a really tough position to be in. So they tried for five years um, to have another baby and then they finally pretty much, I think, gave up. And I think maybe it was when they relaxed a bit. That's when they ended up um, getting pregnant with me. So I have actually a 20-year gap between my sister and I. So I just turned 30, which feels weird to say, but I'm 30, she's 50, and my brother would be about 52 if he was alive. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's kind of surreal. But um, essentially what ended up happening is that when my mom and dad had me, they named me Francesca and uh, my brother's name when he was alive was Francesco. So from a very young age, I mean, my mom and dad never looked at me and said, hey, Francesca, like, you know, we've had you to help fill a void or to help with grief or to help with this. They've never actually vocally said that. However, you know, I don't know what it was along the way that got into my head, but I think there were just certain things that were said and communicated that I started picking up very early on at a young age. I was like, oh my gosh, like I was always scared they were going to get rid of me actually, because when I, you know, obviously at that time, especially the first 10 years of my life, like our, our house was pretty low key and sad. Like you could just tell my mom and dad were still very heavily in that grieving period. I mean, how could they not be And so there were certain moments where when I saw them sad, I was like, okay, I have to entertain them or do something Mm -hmm. or dress up and try to, you know, I don't know, do something to make them smile. And of course, it's not always going to work. And there'd be moments where I'd go to my room and I'm like, are they going to get rid of me? Because I'm not doing my job. Like, I'm not filling the void. Like, I don't even, there were all these things. But I mean, I guess even before that, if we we rewind, I remember the moment I was sitting on the staircase. My mom was getting off the phone with someone. It was a relative of some sort. And I think I had asked her like the question, like, why are you and dad always sad? And that's when she had told me that I had a brother and he passed away in a car accident and what his name was. So I think around like four or five, it was like, oh my gosh, like that's why I'm here. So I think that was like a really interesting phenomenon for me. And then I think that kind of just stemmed into... um I mean, you can cue a lot of um, behavioral patterns mm-hmm. such as people pleasing. There, mm-hmm. There's so many things that, um, and I became very observant. I, you know, study their behavior and try to figure out like, okay, maybe if they're feeling sad like this, this is how I can mitigate it. There were, it was kind of more of a strategic, I don't even know. I think that's probably why a lot of my teachers when I was like eight years old always be like, how old are you again? I'm like, I'm eight. Why do you keep asking me? <laughs> they're like, you're eight going on 30. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Um, That was kind of what my childhood was like. And then I guess it would have been, I mean, throughout my whole journey, kind of going back to the skating, the dance, the piano, swimming. um, I wish I could say that like I enjoyed everything. I think that more from an enlightened perspective now, I can admit to myself that a lot of what I did wasn't exactly like for my own doing and being. I think it was more like if I win all these medals and I get gold, I mean, I did, I did do very well in my sports because I worked my butt off, but did I do that for me? I don't think so. I think there was a part of me that I was like, if I don't excel at this, like, am I a failure? Like, Mm. am I this child after the fact that is not good at these things that they're putting me in? Um, And I put that on myself. I recognize that, but at the same time, I wouldn't change it for anything because I'm where I am today. 
Um, but that's kind of how that all evolved. And then I guess it would have been when I was about 19 years old. So for about 10 years, I was like a youth leader um, from the time I was about 17 onward. So for about, yeah, 10 years. But when I was 19, we were at a, um, like, I guess like a convention of some sort. And there was a speaker on stage and we were, they were chatting about this, that, and the other. And he started doing a speech. And till this day, I don't know exactly what he said that sparked the emotion. Cause even in that moment, I didn't know, but I started to cry. And at that point in my life, I didn't get very emotional. So all of the kids um, were kind of like, oh my gosh, Francesca's crying. Cause I was more of a rock back then. And um, there was this one girl, she's still a friend till this day, but she was maybe only 16 at the time. Her name was Becca. She came up to me and she didn't know much about my journey, like very minimal. And I'll never forget the words. She looked at me and she was like, you know, Francesca, I just feel like someone up there is trying to say like, you don't need to be Francesca and Francesco, but maybe being you is enough. And I looked at her and I was like, what? Like, And I know that sounds so simple, but at that age and at that time in my life, it was so profound because no one has ever looked at me and said that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had relatives, you know, pretty much straight. I've had cousins at weddings be like, Francesca, don't get involved in this conversation. You didn't know your brother. You don't understand. You weren't there when he died. And, you know, and I've had relatives be like, oh, it would be nice if Frank were here and like you weren't essentially. And I know that at the time I was really hurt, but I recognize now that that was just... Um, one of the people that you interviewed, her name's Pam, and she's a lovely friend of mine. The way that she describes it is that hurt people hurt people or they mm-hmm. show their ugly pain. And it's not that they intend to be that way. It's just that as, you know, as any of us are grieving, sometimes we project that onto others. So I can see that now, but at a young age of like eight or nine, I was like, I remember going up to my mom and dad once. And I was like, why did you have me? Like, it doesn't seem like people are excited that I'm here. Mm-hmm. I keep hearing like, why can't Frank be here? Why does it have to be you? You know, and that was just, yeah. I don't know, surreal. Oh, Definitely. I just want to go back in time and give little Francesca hugs. Like, yeah. I really, oh, I just the pressure that you had, you put on, even if, like you said, a lot of it was you putting pressure on yourselves. Just like, imagine this pressure that this little girl felt to be yeah. worthy enough to be mm-hmm. here. So I think yeah. too, like people don't know how to deal with loss, especially tragic. Cause I, I mean, I, yeah. I had a cousin so the language that we use is so important mm-hmm. yes. and we don't talk about you know we we do all these courses or we we have like motivational speaking and but we don't actually get taught how to deal with loss and what yeah. people need whether it is with you know child with pregnancy mm-hmm. like we talked with journey to you know loss of a family member and certain things trigger us um, and create stories and then you live by those stories, right? So they shape who you are as you go until you are able to let that go and not hold, you know, so much merit to those words that were said. Because again, people were doing the best that they could at the time with Absolutely. the knowledge that they had. Um, we had lost, like my my cousin, she was like a sister to me. Uh, we lived in the same town in Poland. She got killed in a car accident at 19. She was also pregnant. So there was loss. I'm so sorry. And then, so this was 23, four years ago. Um, and to this day, I mean, you know, when people were coming, it was our only child. My my auntie had her at, she got pregnant at 16, had her at 17. So it's very similar. And so they were best friends. And um, yeah, I mean, she tried to take her life twice uh she's like I can't live if my child is not living I can't live and to this day like um you can see she's not she's not the same yeah but then coming in like as us family members we we like you know doctors and people were saying you're still young have another have another but you cannot replace a child that that person is that person if you have another child that other child is their own you know their own and there's no comparing to um so yeah, for us, what we didn't know, we we stopped talking about her. We stopped talking about Kate. I mean, I named my first, well, she's, I have a twin. So one of them mm-hmm. is Kate. Um, and um, that hurt my auntie the most because they she thought that we didn't care. We didn't want to talk about her. But we, to us, we thought we were doing her a favor because we weren't bringing up the stuff right so it's just again it comes down to the communication we're just not taught how to communicate effectively 
during certain situations. So I really, you know, I commend you for speaking and and talking about these um, hard topics Mm because they are really hard topics to talk about. And, you know, share your story as that person who, you know, there was loss, you weren't there. And now you're this, you know, child, innocent coming into this world and this pressure to be or replace but you're you're not there to replace. You're there just to to be and to you know you know bring mm-hmm. joy and and just to be Francesca and that's who you are, right? You, you took the bull by its horns, yeah, for sure, and you ran with it. So thank really, you. yeah. And thank you for sharing your story too, Belle. I'm sorry for your loss, and it's never easy. And mm-hmm. I think too, like when someone is given, especially like in my case, like the pretty much like the girl version of the name. I didn't personally feel like I had the space to be my own individual person mm-hmm. because I was a walking rep- representation that Frank was in here. And actually, interestingly enough, despite all of the healing work that I've done over the last you know, decade or so, um, it was actually just after my most recent Amante conference that you spoke at, Alex. And um, it was actually through that conference that actually a lot of unexpected emotions came up. And I finally had the courage to say to my mom, I'm like, I just feel... Like at Christmas time, I just don't want to be a walking representation that Frank's not here. Like it Mm -hmm. breaks my heart. I feel Mm -hmm. bad for coming over because I'm just a reminder of what was. And I was like, I just, I know I have the same name, but if there's any possible way that we can, if I can start being looked at as my own person, like I just don't want to, I don't want to be tied to that anymore. I know that I always will be. He's Mm -hmm. my brother. Um, but we had a really wonderful open conversation with my mom and dad. I was so grateful for it because I think for years we weren't really able to. And quite frankly, I thought it was a taboo subject. There's so many things that I didn't feel comfortable talking about or asking. Um, but it's incredible what time can do to heal. And I'm right. so proud of them. Like they're just, they're incredible and they have such big hearts. And I, I've learned so much from them through watching this after the fact. I think one of the things maybe that have that has hurt me the most, kind of to Bella's point, um, we never really know how to deal with grief or loss or whether to talk about mm-hmm. the person or not. Um, I lost two of um, two friends last year at 29. One died of cancer, one died in a car accident. Um, and so in the midst of that, I've learned very quickly that like talking about them is one of the most beautiful things that you can do for their parents, for their mm-hmm. friends, because it keeps their memory alive. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, I think one of the things that hurt me the most when I was little um, was just a simple fact that it would be my cousins or just family members that would be like, you don't understand, you came after. And I think why even just like the children's book was so important to me was the simple fact that people don't understand that, yes, I I will never claim to understand what it was like to lose my brother. I wasn't there. I Why would I ever make that claim? However, I did see the aftermath mm-hmm. in what it looked like behind closed doors. My mom and dad are very good at putting on the smile and the show when they leave the house, but I got to see afterwards what that really looked like. And I was their rock for a really long time. So I might not have understood what it felt like in the moment, but I certainly saw what happened after the fact. Um, And I think that's maybe something that needs to be talked about more because there's a lot of children like, I mean, journey story is so beautiful. And, you know, whether it's miscarriage, stillborn, whatever it is, um, I just think that there's not a a lot of conversation these days. Maybe there is going to be more of and that's wonderful. But what's it like for the child afterwards that's born into that family and like that gets to witness all of this grief and loss and at four years old, how are they to know how to deal with that? Mm -hmm. Let alone in our thirties and forties, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we ever stop learning. Yeah. Yeah. There's this amazing woman that I follow. You might actually be interested. I know her from Vancouver, but her name's Katie Jameson and her first baby that she had died in the hospital. And um, now she has four other kids and she just talks about how grief has like weaved its way into even her current children's existence. And she's done a lot of work in the last few years um, to really, and she has this young new baby and she's like, suddenly I realized that there can be like the joy and the grief. And she talks a lot about how she thinks even for her son who was born after the the son that died, that he did have a lot of pressure to live up to this, this baby who was never going to be older than a few days old. And just like, just how she's trying to reframe it in a way 
now to look at it in a sense of, okay, well, you know, there's this joy too that's come, like all these babies came after and we can celebrate this other baby. And now her one kid ended up raising money for the hospital, the hospice where the kid died and all this cool stuff like that. But it's just that there can be joy and the grief and that it's so hard sometimes because it's almost like we, as society, feel like we have to pick one or we're like, we have to be sad or then we're putting this pressure on like this little person to fill a void, whereas it can just live in a parallel, like the grief and the joy, you know? Absolutely. And both can exist. They can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to follow that lady. She yeah, sounds I'll send wonderful. her to you. She's so cool. But Thank yeah. you, Alex. Yeah, and yeah, it, we, we sorry we we tend to uh, you know kind of live when there is loss, uh, when those moments like Christmas and all all those you know special days that come up, in um, the what if or what could have been, mm-hmm. right? Yes. We don't um, just celebrate what was. You know, and, and that's what perpetuates that constant cycle of grief and not dealing with it. Like, right? Just like, well, he would have been this. He would have been that. Yeah, it's, we create a story of what they would have been it, like. Yes, right? And then yeah. you start comparing, you know, what is now and what could have been. So, absolutely, yeah, there's ways to... I don't know. I I don't know how to deal yeah. with that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be kind of interesting to, you know, hear somebody who managed to kind of break that cycle of what if and that pressure to put on the young children um that are that came after the loss or even during, you know, like yeah. because yeah. kids you know, there's accidents all the time, right? So you have two, three kids and you lose one, how do you collect yourself and not you know, put pressure on the other kids to fill that void in such a way where now they feel like they're not living up to or maybe, you know, they wish they would have gone because, you know, they're the other child. But anyways, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I may share one note, you know how you both were um, kind of bringing up like the, the courage to like talk about it and keep that memory alive. I think one of the biggest things that kind of, um, stemmed into my current reality is that gratitude is what got me through everything. That's kind of before like gratitude journaling was cool. And that was what everyone was talking about. Um, It was actually just a coach of mine years and years ago that was like, you know, every single day, write down a couple things that you're grateful for. This is how you're going to get through this. This is how you're going to get through that or how you're going to make that mental or cognitive switch between what you're currently observing and to what you want to feel. And, um, and I feel really grateful for, I think there's moments in life where, how would I word this? I think there's been moments in my life where I haven't felt it was my place to talk about any of that um, because I'm like, well, you know, like there's been people that are like, you know, you don't have the right to call him your brother. You never knew him while he was alive. And and I'd actually disagree with that. For a while, I let them have oh, that. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told that by so wow, many relatives. Wow, oh yeah. They're like, that is not your brother. You do not know him. Like wow. you were born after and like, how dare you even claim that he's yeah, your yeah, sibling. Wow. So, um, you know, when I was little, I was like, fair enough, respectably. So thank you. And I was always the young, polite one that was like, I didn't want to rock the boat, but as I get older, I don't have to share this with them, but I know it in my heart. I'm like, that's not the truth. Like I have my own beautiful spiritual connection with him and anyone can discount that. But if I feel it, then I can believe that that's true. And that's Mm -hmm. there. Um, he's inspired me to do so many things and inspired me to, you know, go in the path that I am. But interestingly, you know, in the midst of that, there has been, you know, ones that have said, you know, you don't have the right to talk about this or share with other people. Um, and I, and I, the way, I guess the way I look at it, similar to, you know, my experience um, with my divorce, when I started talking about it through a, a lens of gratitude, there were a lot of people that are like, Francesca, you're not the first to get divorced, not the last. What makes your journey so special that you need to talk about it? And I'm like, I'm not saying it's special. And I'm not even saying that my experience with my brother is unique. However, if there's even one person that reads a post that I make, whether it's through a lens of gratitude through my divorce or through how I feel about my brother and the things that he's taught me through his absence and me being born because he passed away, 
um, maybe there's somebody out there, just one that I can help. And for me, that is worth it. Yeah. So, um, and uh, I don't know if I can, may I share what happened once? Yeah. This is actually how I started my speaking career. I made a post this one day um, on gratitude. It was in 2019 and it was kind of a little bit about my brother's death and about my divorce. And, but the underlying theme was gratitude very vulnerable post. And, you know, I think at that time in my life, I was starting to get more comfortable with not being perfect because nobody's perfect. I think I just wanted to hide under that veil because it was easier, although never believable. Mm -hmm. And um, around 2019, I had more comfortability to start being really raw and real about my experience. And anyways, made that gratitude post. And about 30 minutes later, I was in the car um, and I got this call from UBC and it was like this, one of these uh, facility members, they're like, hi, Francesco. So one of our, um, you know, directors follows you on Instagram and just read your posts and, and we're all teary eyed because then we all read it. And I was like, you read, you read my post. Oh, okay. Like, and so they were like, you know, we want you to speak for us. I'm like, oh no, I'm not a public speaker. I'm like, that's very kind, but you probably have the wrong person. They're like, no, no, this is Francesca. Right. I'm like, yep. So they're like, may you please meet with us? We're doing this, you know, big talk on gratitude. And, and after reading your post, like this is just meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, sounds good. <laughs> so I met with them and all from this one post, all from being vulnerable, all from just sharing a little piece of my story, met with them. And as we're chatting, they're like, yeah, we're going to be talking about gratitude, you know, with the theme of loss, divorce, this, that, accidents, you name it. And I kind of just asked, I was like, you know, who's speaking on your panel? And they were like, oh, this TEDx speaker and this guy. And there's one gentleman, Joshua Duick. He was a Paralympic gold medalist. He was on the Ellen DeGeneres show, wonderful guy. And this other lady, her name was Lindsay. She's a public speaker professionally. And I looked at them and I was like, respectably, like, I will disappoint you so much. Like, please, like, I am not meant to speak on your stage. I am not a speaker. And they were like, Francesca, we feel it. We trust it. Please, like, we want you to speak anyway. So... We went back and forth. Finally, I was like, okay. I'm like, but at least I told you so. You're like, I warned you. <laughs> I warned you. The warning is there. Yeah. So I'll let you know. Exactly. Yeah. So I got there and um, I spoke after. Uh, he's actually a good friend of mine now, but he's a TEDx speaker and his name's Mike Shaw. And he also talks about gratitude resilience anyway. So I get up, I see my talk and I notice that everybody in the audience starts to get all teary eyed and emotional. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is making an impact. Anyway, so I finished my talk and a whole bunch of people came up to me after to share their experience of what that was like. Um, and the facility members from UBC were like, we told you, we're so Aww. glad that, and I got really emotional, but it was interesting because, and I, and I, if they're listening to this, thank you. Because, um, pretty much since that day, no matter where I've went or whether it was like, you know, one experience was in DC, there's been other experiences in the States or different parts of Canada that these random people in the random instances have asked me to speak. And, and like, I'm literally going to be keynoting, um, in Detroit on January 20th um, for a gala. And the reason that that opportunity came is because when I was in New Orleans, I spoke very vulnerably, like the whole audience, we were, I was teary eyed. Everyone else was bawling. I felt very bad, but um, obviously it was emotional. Um, But at the same time, had I not been that vulnerable, had I not shared that depth of my heart, Mm -hmm. that opportunity would have never came because they would have just known this, you know, surface layer of me. So Mm -hmm. I think it just speaks to the fact that we often, that imposter syndrome that Alex talked about, it's very easy for us to go, what makes my journey so special? What makes my experience worth sharing? And trust me, I feel that all the time. However, I push myself through to say, it's not for me. There's somebody in this audience, even if it's just one that needs to hear this. Mm -hmm. Um, So my encouragement to anybody out there is that, you know, if you have experienced loss or, you know, whether it's divorce, I mean, that is a loss. Mm -hmm. It's all grief in the Mm -hmm. same sense. Um, I think that speaking about it and sharing your experience with others, you just, you never know the ripple effect. Totally. And I think that it, what you're doing is so powerful with your Monte talks, because I feel that at those talks where people get up there, they bear their soul, they're speaking at this like really vulnerably and people are receptive to that. And mm-hmm. it's amazing that you're creating that space for people and that people are feeling like they can share in that way. Mm-hmm. And I I know that lots of speaking has come from those speaking for other people, myself included, 
because it's just such a platform for people mm-hmm. to be able to share in that way. And so that's a powerful yeah, thing. That makes me one. really happy. And we're also happy to announce our Let's Not Sugarcoat It talks because now yes, we're, we're so excited for something similar because we want to provide that space. Every time we host events, uh, we make uh, sure that it's a safe space for people to you know, be open and, mm. and be vulnerable because we are all in it together and we don't know anybody's story until we share and open up our own stories and people will then you know have that platform that stage to be like you know what this is important I am grieving I am um whatever the emotions are at that Mm -hmm. or happy even joy right like we want to celebrate and learn from others so you know we learn from you we learn from all of our speakers that are here and we want um our stage um to be that let's not sugarcoat it and be real raw and unfiltered because that's where the juice is that's yeah you know where the learnings are that's where we find out how to communicate and what people actually need during those times instead of, you know, putting that perfect persona and perfect, you know, filter on mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, just Absolutely. unveil all that good all stuff. That. So super excited about I'm that. I'm so happy for you both. <laughs> it's oh, going to be so Thank wonderful. You. We need more of that. It'll be fun. I'm a very huge proponent of collaboration. Mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. I don't know, we need that mm-hmm. more than ever. Totally. Yeah. One of my favorite um, storytellers that I know she um, always says to me that people learn through your stories, not through telling, right? And she mm-hmm. says that's what sets a good speaker, a good writer, all that apart is that you're telling people a lesson per se, but you're not saying this is the lesson I've learned. It's like you tell it through your story that mm-hmm. you're revealing this is the big thing. So I think yeah. it's cool to create that for people. It's amazing. Yeah, 100%. So so tell us a little bit now about your yeah, book, your book. children's book. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you want me to kind of share why? I ended yes. Up yeah, of course. Yeah. So in the last, I guess, 12 months, um, yeah, do you want me to share a bit about like the relationship I left as well and what's yeah, kind of sure. um, yeah. catalyzed? Share it all. Share it all. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, so in the last 12 months or so, it started to occur to me. I was in a two-year relationship that I ended about four and a half months ago now. And... Um, yeah, essentially it just, um, there were moments in time where, you know, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but you just kind of get to a point where you start to look at yourself in the mirror and it's just like that little light inside of you that no matter what happens in your life, you still saw within yourself and all of a sudden you start to see that dim, Mm. you start to notice certain things become like 10 times harder and it's just a perpetual cycle from there. So there were a lot of things that I started to observe and I noticed within my environment and within myself that I was like, I, I think I started asking the question, I'm like, this just cannot be it. This can't be all that there is in my life. And very quickly, um, I guess about eight months ago, for sure, I knew I was like, okay, I'm like, I I, I can't do this. Like, um, But in the midst of that, I'm, I'm a fighter and I'm like, I, I can do this. Like, mm-hmm. I just have to, I think I wanted to know. I'm like, universe, keep giving me signs that you know, either I'm meant to stay or I'm meant to go. And I and I really wanted to make sure I exhausted those before I made any rash decision and keep executing myself with grace and love and kindness, despite whatever was being thrown at me. Um, but in the midst of that year, um, it's funny. A lot of people are like, wow, Francesca, you had such an incredible year. I'm so proud of you. Like that was your best year ever. And it's really kind, but it's interesting that most people wouldn't know that half of the reason why I did all the things that I did was because I was really, really internally struggling. And the only thing that was going to get me through was seeing other people's eyes light up when I got to see them on stage or providing a a platform and audience for people to come together. Those were my little highlights that were like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. And most people wouldn't know that. They would think, oh, you're going to plan an event at the happiest time of your life. They would never think that the Francesca planning that event is struggling inside. No one would know. And so that's actually one of the reasons why I started the um, Amanti Women's Conferences because there were so many different things in my life where, or moments in my life where I started even observing like my female circle. And I was like, these are lovely humans, but they are competitive and I'm not competitive. I want to see other women around me flourish. And I've been craving kind, like wholehearted women that are vulnerable that just want to see you shine mm-hmm. around me. 
and I wasn't experiencing that. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to go and look for them. I'll just make an event and I'll attract them naturally. And that's kind of how that happened. I said to the universe, I was like, whatever relationships are meant to fall away, let them fall away. And I even had a 10 year friendship that just literally poof, gone, Mm -hmm. fell away. And I was like, wow. So a lot of drama, all that type of stuff kind of just fell away. I did my very first Amante Women's Conference um, again at a very like, you know, hard time in my life. But all of a sudden, like it was actually one of the first people to walk through the door was Jacqueline from Okanagan Lifestyle. And just oh, all of these, the best I person. love her. <laughs> I actually get to see her later today before I fly out to the States. I'm so happy. And she walked through the door and all these incredible women. And I remember looking around and I just, I got so emotional and I was like, this is exactly what I, what I visioned. And this is exactly the feeling of what I've been craving and searching for. And so that happened. And of course I planned another one. I think it was in April. And then there was one in June. I did one in August. And then we did the big, big two in October and December. But like I said, most people that have come up to me after those events are like, oh, Francesca, that was awesome. And like, just no one would ever know. And I I know that a couple of you and my close friends now finding out what a struggle I was going through, they're like, we're so sorry. Like we had no idea. And I was like, well, it's not your fault. It's not like I decided to bring it up. I wasn't ready to talk about it. You're like a Bella. You hit it well. Oh, I hit it well. (laughs) Yeah. I I can totally relate. And you know, when you're struggling, I, I did the same thing. I had a really tough year last year, but you wouldn't not know unless you knew me how much you know struggle and I I went through but we what gave me that comfort that I could do it is just throwing myself into doing the things I love to do and things just worked itself out (laughs) but but yeah it was yeah it was a tough year for me last year I'm ready to I would have never known said goodbye yeah it was yeah it was pretty like I almost lost my marriage like yeah just because I lost my dad and then almost lost the the other man in my life and uh yeah but here we are I mean it made us stronger and and better and just stuff that you know we needed to work through but again it was something that us women we hide well Absolutely. We do. I do. I find that, Mm -hmm. you know, having that time to myself, but then also sharing with just a few people gave Mm -hmm. me that, you know, boost to be like, okay, now I I need it. And and then I I have a psychologist as well. I I talked to her. She's on my speed (laughs) bile. Yeah. I love it. We all need a good coach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, okay, I need to, I need to talk to you now. (laughs) Just having that person, but it's through the talking and the sharing is when you as a person, me as a person, you know, we find that light. We, we have those aha moments. We have realizations and the growth is in the sharing. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. getting that feedback or just not just having somebody listen and you hear yourself talking when you speak out loud and you hear yourself, somehow it becomes real. And then you start questioning that's, you know, because now it's out there and you're like, really, is that what I mean? Is that really how I feel? You start questioning those stories that are running in your head. Yeah. Once they're out there, maybe they're not quite as crazy as you make it in your head absolutely when you say it out oh, loud yeah, yeah. and so. bring those darkness into yeah. the light and yeah, yeah. absolutely it's, it is the vulnerability and in, in the share yeah it's yeah my husband and I just went onto a completely new level in our relationship and that vulnerability is what really saved our marriage it's through you know so talking powerful. and and being open and honest about what is actually going on inside of us. Real raw and unfiltered, yes. one might say. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is what we, we had those aha moments. Like, wow, I never realized, you know, that you were feeling this way and same and vice versa. Because again, we we don't want to hurt the person. We don't want to make them upset or whatever. Or we think we know what their response is going to be. And when their response isn't what we thought, it's a, wow, it's a shocker, yeah. you know? <laughs> but it is, it's yeah. it's that, it's through, you know, the vulnerability and really, uh, I hate this word, digging deep. It's like such a- It's a diggy, tongue diggy, 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 <laughs> It is, it's a diggy, dig, <laughs> dig deep. Dig deep. Like <laughs> the Polish comes yeah, out. It's like a weird, the dig deep. Oh, that was, a, that was pretty that good. That was a pretty good. I didn't think about her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is is you know is when you become so much closer and and the understanding and relatedness um, comes out and yeah. 
it can save or break a marriage, depending, uh, or a relationship, friendship. But it's just having those. But at least you're speaking your truth. Speaking Mm -hmm. your truth, and you're living, and then you're attracting what you want and who you want and who you need in your life. Absolutely. Versus, you know, pretending and having, like you said, those relationships that like end abruptly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a beautiful friendship too. With I don't even know why our friendship ended. We tried, and. at some point, you just have to let it go and be like, you know, they Trust. were meant to be in our lives for that amount of time. And now, you know, that chapter is over and Absolutely. you just move on and create new friendships. Mm-hmm. So, And I think there's something so powerful to be said about making the space in the room. Mm-hmm. I think that seems to be what we think is the most scariest part. But I mean, at least from what I've experienced after ending that relationship, it was literally within days that certain opportunities knocked. Mm-hmm. I crossed paths with certain people that I never thought I would see again. Right. Like you literally make the space mm-hmm. for the people that are meant to be there. And even in the friendship capacity, that too. I mean, the people I have in my life, you guys included, I would have never thought I had 12, 12 months ago. I'm so fortunate for that. But I had to make the room and I had to have mm-hmm. the courage to at least know and put the intention out there that this is what I want. And if I need to make space for it, I have to be open. You have to be open. I love that. And I love what you said too, about a second ago there about people coming kind of in and out, like reconnecting with people, Mm -hmm. as you said. Like, I do find the world's funny like that. Recently, someone that I know, I was friends with her my whole elementary and high school life. We got in a big fight when we were about to go to university. We never really spoke again. And we... um, just kind of knew about each other on Instagram, let's just say that. But then in Facebook, but then recently I've actually talked to her on the phone. We just like by circumstances reconnected and it's just cool how like our friendship really dissolved and we weren't friends anymore, but how people weave their way back into your life if they're Mm -hmm. meant to be there. In another way, we didn't have, I don't think, the capacity for each other at that time. We were Mm -hmm. just in different track and, and it's cool. To reconnect yeah. with people that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. And when it's meant yeah. to you, will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had a friend too, like my husband did. I still has like, he's a godfather to my children. And, uh, but yeah, we they've lost connection over something really silly. But that's because again, we didn't know what was happening in their lives because they, he wasn't sharing. So the story we created, you know, mm-hmm. was not the story that was happening, but we didn't know. And then there was a falling out. We all went and did, you know, growth and development courses, not because we were thinking we're going to reconnect or, but then somehow, somewhere, the universe put us back together. And now, you know, we're stronger right. and than you're like ever good because, you know, like we're like, you know, Lee's best friend is back wow. and now they're communicating on, on the same level, but they needed to split ways to do their growth and right. their development and get their shit together Absolutely. <laughs> to be able to reconvene and be like, holy man, you know, we really needed that break. We needed that space to figure ourselves out. And then now... Now it's like amazing, the best conversations and like one of the best friendships that we have. So yeah, that's pretty that's, powerful. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. And sometimes that space and time is everything. Mm-hmm. And right? that personal growth. And yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Like I am not who I was even five months ago, let alone 12 months ago. Yeah, we, we change and oh, evolve yeah. so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make sure I answer your question, Alex, about yes. the children's book, essentially um, that was one of the, the byproducts of that last 12 month period was just a simple fact that in the midst of you know, there were certain nights where um, I just decided, I was like, I'm not crying myself to sleep tonight. I'm going to do something productive with mm-hmm. my time. And there was one of the evenings where I went downstairs was on the couch and I was on my computer and I was like, you know what? I really, really, I've been wanting to do this for some time to have um, some kind of book, some kind of um in a sense, tool for parents to use and go to. So that way, whether they've had a miscarriage or whether they've had stillborn or any type of loss, like a loss like my mom and dad in an accident, that they could go to this book and read to their little boy or girl or their little child and give them some form of comfort. And maybe in a sense, the children don't even understand what they're reading, but maybe one day, you know, the mom can say, hey, you know, remember that book we used to read about the elephant and that little monkey? Well, the same way that, you know, that little, um, you know, elephant passed away your brother passed away years ago I remember how in the book we'd always like look up and know that he was watching over us or that he's with us in some way 
that's the exact same, you know, situation that we're in in our life and just something to tie to because I think mm-hmm. as children, any book that we ever have read as a child, there's always some kind of memory that we have attached to it. I remember Arthur or any of those little books, right? There's so many cute stories and and little memories there. So I thought if I could give it such a positive, and I'm not even in a positive way, but something that has a light to it, um, knowing that... Um, there is there is sunshine and joy after loss in some capacity. I think for my mom and dad, at least, um, there was definitely an element where I don't know if they even knew at the time how to even describe that to me or how to share with me that my brother had passed or why I was born or to clarify that I was not here to fill a void. I don't really know if they knew how to go about that. How would you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way to know. Um, so I think there's definitely a part of me that wanted to give some kind of tool for for parents, guardians, or you know, foster families to help their little their little kids just to um, yeah to have some form of a, a a beautiful story to look back on, and then one day when they are told about the actual reality of their family situation, that there's something a positive reframe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I. Yeah, so that's kind of how that came about, but it was in that year of wow, struggle that it kind yeah. of blossomed out. So what's it. the title of your So book? the book is called After Loss Came You. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's a beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to read it. Yeah. Thank you. These yeah. are um so these are just like some of the little copies that we did to like test what the art would artwork artwork, sorry, <laughs> tongue twister artwork would look like. So um very excited for the the final copy to be distributed. We're just in the pre-order stage right now. Um, but very excited. Um and then this is the the book. Oh so, yeah. I love the art. Yeah. I love it. So oh. yeah, I'm just gonna take, Let's a, take a little yeah, snapshot, snapshot over here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So no, I feel very grateful. And um yeah, and I also got all of the like life sized um I think you would have saw them at the event. Yeah. The life sized stuffies of all the different uh, oh, stuffed okay. animals of yeah. all of the um characters in the book. So and I'll never forget, like there was obviously before I announced any of it, I had went to my mom and dad's house and I showed her I had gotten like photos with the photographer and um with the book and everything like that already but I went and showed her and I told her about my purpose behind it and obviously got her permission I was like Mm -hmm. is this something that you feel comfortable help like as a tool to help other parents and of course her answer was yes like Mm -hmm. this is incredible but um it was definitely an emotional moment sharing it with my mom because I'm very lucky like they're incredible parents I just um I don't wish that loss on anybody. Like, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine. And even when I was at my friend Amanda's wedding this past summer, um, our friend Melissa's parents were there. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I look at them and for them to look at the chair next to them and not see their daughter that was supposed mm-hmm. to get married that year. Like, I can't imagine. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, so, yeah, I mean, loss to me means a lot changed you know, because I did lose my cousin and we, we did lose my dad. But looking at my children, ever since I had the kids, I did not really appreciate as much as I do now what it means to lose a child because mm-hmm. just the thought of me losing, oi, I'm going to cry. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I just, I can't, I don't know, right? Oh. Like it's such a hard thing to go through. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry that you've lost your brother yeah. you. and your parents. I just, yeah, as a mom, it feels different. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just going to cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels different. Um, yeah, the love you have for your child is nothing. No. Like, and the words, I'm going to say, I think I said this once before, but I had trouble getting pregnant. And at the end of my journey, um, I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I don't think I'm pregnant. I'm, I think I'm going to lose these ba- babies. And, I, and then I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore because the just everything that I was going through emotionally, physically. And my mom said to me, she's like, child, don't say that because the love I feel for you is like no love you've ever felt before. And I don't want you to miss out Aww. on the love of our Aww. child Aww. <laughs> so yeah. that's what you know kind of kept me going and you know we ended up having the babies wow. but it's just that profound 
You know, my mom was not a very profound woman. <laughs> she's probably like, child, I she's- love it, I can see it. <laughs> uh, she is I in her own it. way. She's she, wise. She's wise uh, in her way, but I've never had her talk to me in that way, wow. right? She's, yeah, so that was That's a big... Right. That's so yeah. incredible. Yeah. And so, then you had twins? That yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Now they're 11 going on oh. 17 and that's another and story. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Okay, well. Well, thank you for coming out here yeah. and sharing your heart yeah, yes. and being so vulnerable. And, and do tell, like Bella asked, where people can find you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is um, F-R-E-S-C-A Amante. I abbreviated my first name mm-hmm. for the sake because it's very long. So, um, yeah, that is my Instagram handle. Um, and then from there in my bio, you can find my conference page, my Mante Talks page, my real estate page, and then the After Loss Kimu book page. It's all in there. Um, and yeah, we'll be sure to have that attached to yeah. the uh, oh, yeah, episode. episode. So, yeah. you know, That's very kind. to all our listeners, click on it, click on yeah. it, check <laughs> it out. Yeah. Amazing. I'm very grateful to have been here with you yeah. both. So yeah, grateful you. that you know, we got you to come in before your big journey. Yes, so. thank you. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming. Until next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you feel more empowered, moved and inspired. Be sure to check out the show's description and follow us on social media at Let's Not Sugarcoat It podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. Also, check out our YouTube channel where you can view and subscribe to our latest episodes. What you have to say matters, so send us your feedback and ideas on what you'd like us to talk about so we can serve you better. And remember, motherhood is a team sport.